Hello there and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Hello there, my name is Des Cahill and today's visitor to the island is nationally known as a writer, artist, actor and activist and serves as a Dublin city councillor. It's a pleasure to welcome Mannix Flynn. Mannix, great to see you and I have to say, I was talking to a couple of people last night, a couple of youngsters about you and um, the opening three lines in your Wikipedia page where it describes early life, just three sentences... He was sent to St. Joseph's Industrial School in Letterfrack, aged 11 for 18 months, subjected to sexual and physical abuse there. He also spent time in the detention centre in Dangan County, Offaly, St. Patrick's Institution, and was given five years at 15 years of age and sent to Mountjoy Prison. That seems so bleak. Yeah, it was bleak, but, you know, I mean, it was very bleak and the experience was a, a, a rather dark experience to have. But that's the way it was then. That was the way it was for a lot of people, Des, you know. That's the way it was for a hell of a lot of folk, you know what I mean, uh, who were incarcerated in the institutions of Magdalene Laundry, Mother and Baby Homes, industrial and reform schools who were sent in there for basically being poor, or you know what I mean, and that was the way it was. And we all know the outcome of that from the Ryan Murphy and Ferns reports, I and mean, it's an ongoing part of our history that it's still emerging. So as a child, yes, growing up in, in, in Ireland uh, and being taken away from my parents uh, and my family and my neighbourhood, it was pretty tough to end up in the, in the, in the, in, in the out, out, outer uh, Connemara or, or, or the backwaters of, of Offaly in Dangan or, or all the other institutions like Golden Bridge or Dundrum, you know, where I was sent when I was 14 years of age uh, for the, uh, the insane asylum, you know, um, or, or Mountjoy Jail or St. Patrick's Institution. And then, of course, there's the how you cope with all of that when you're 20 odd years of age and you're released into a society and your experience is vastly different to others and and how you understand your identity and how you question yourself so in many ways you are isolated like a person on an island you're looking inward all the time and then you're responding externally all the time and you're trying to come to terms with all the different identities that are there and also you know don't forget that you know that we were a class we were working class you know poor people and then there was a class a subclass within that of those who were incarcerated in the institutions. So we were separated entirely and I came out at 20 odd years of age from Mountjoy Jail in St. Patrick's Institution where I studied in there on my own accord to read and write and to, to, to be able to read literature and again the radio which we'll be talking about later on was a huge part and this station in particular was a huge part of what was that other island of what that other place that was out there beyond the island the other place that gave me mirroring you know this station the, the programmes on the radio because that's what we had we had you know the best of music coming out of RTE the best of drama and you could listen to those and you could imagine what the world was outside you know and that's where I got a lot of identification certainly in the jails and certainly in the institutions like Letterfrack where the radio would blare out a, a, a song and you'd kind of all of a sudden re- realise that there is another world out there there's a Dublin song being played or you know you hear uh, it just on the blurb of the radio we like that there's a bombing in Vietnam and you know these were things that I wrote about but these were things that helped you you know what I mean to, to, to recognise that there, there was something beyond the place where you were in it's heartbreakingly sad when you when you describe it almost so nonchalantly and as you say reflects on our history 
so badly. But did you know love as a youngster? Absolutely. My parents adored me and they adored the family. And like my mother and my father, you know, looked after us and nurtured us in the way that they could and then and did the best they could. My family didn't abuse us. They didn't starve us. And certainly the flats that I was born and reared in, which is Mercer Street, were a great place to be. The city of Dublin was a fascinating mystery to be able to play around, you know. Mm. This was the 60s, it was the late 50s. It was fantastic. The place was magnificent. I used to wander out here to RT on the Mitchum School and this was the countryside, mm-hmm. you know. And like, you know, Inchicore was the countryside and there was the Dublin Castle dilapidated and all the paraphernalia that was left over from the empire was lying on the ground, you know. And, you know, <laughs> you know, it was it was quite fascinating, you know what I mean? And, you know, it, it, the, the streets were full of very interesting people and as a child you darted in around all these streets and I was right close to Grafton Street so you saw the wealth of Grafton Street and you, you know my mother my mother was a street trader sold fruit and vegetables on Camden Street my father worked in Dublin City Council as a road sweeper there were 17 of us all together so it was a very very active life you know what I mean a very very active the woman next door to my mother and Mercer house had 15 kids there was 20 kids there was so there was a constant kind of thing happening being chased by the gardener being chased by the police there was this element of play and childhood and that was there that was absolutely Absolutely fascinating to be Taylor Keats on the one hand, where St. Stephen's Green Shopping Centre is, and down where the Satanta Centre is, you'd, you'd Council and Cochrane's, you'd Vibrancy, you'd Jacob's Biscuit Factory, you'd Boland's Biscuit Factory, you'd all of these people on bikes moving in and out of the city, walking, you'd people sweeping, you'd people identifying you. You had Grafton Street, which was absolutely fantastic. So you had this element of absolute adventure and playground, and that all ended when Dublin City Council officials and their, their, you know, put their hand on my shoulder about non-attendance at school and I ended up incarcerated. Is that, in, what, is that what it was? That's basically what it was. Yeah. Non-attendance at school basically was that sent me away and, uh, you know, a mister, minor misdemeanours. But, but before that, I'd, I'd been in, 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 in Golden Bridge as, 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 as a child because uh, my mother, you know, had a lot of children. Mm. My father was working uh, and then sometimes we'd go to Golden Bridge. My father paid for Golden Bridge. People don't know this. People sometimes paid the nuns in Golden Bridge to mind the children while the parent had the child, you know what I mean? And then once the child was born, you went back home. So again, th- these were all part of life and you're resilient and you, you know, you, 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 you basically, ha- you know, I was lucky enough to have a sense of adventure, lucky enough to have a sense of mystery and lucky enough to have a sense of like, you know, I suppose faith from a very early age that I always felt that there was something else out there, that there was something very different, you know what I mean? And all this really, like, you know, was water kind of odd, you know, but beyond all of where I was born into and beyond those restrictions and beyond the kind of no choice but in poverty, there was something out there to kind of journey towards. Did you know that kind of way? Uh, And, you know, so that was what, you know, I suppose, you know, underpinned everything, that I had a constitutional belief that there was something out there. But that gave you the strength to survive those abuses that others weren't able to survive. They lacked your inner strength. Maybe. I think everybody, you know, I think that the word survivor is an interesting word, you know what I mean? And, I, you know, you know, it, it's, it's, it's bandied about a lot. I mean, a lot of people have experiences and a lot of people journey in those experiences to the places where they can only journey to, you know what I mean? And everybody, you know, gets on to where they can get on to, you know, and, you know, I moved this way, but I had other issues. Other people moved in different ways. Mm-hmm. Some of Some of the people that I was incarcerated with, you know, went on to be in gangland. Some of them went on to be in the IRA. Some of them went on in all different walks of life. Some of them didn't, some of them died. There was lots of different things. There's a whole myriad of stuff out there. I, I don't but did believe... Ireland of that era give those people a chance? 
I don't believe it did. I think there was a deep class prejudice. I think there was a there was a, a, a an overbearing church. I think there was an overbearing authoritarianism. I think there was a huge amount of national shame, uh, and we as 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 working class children were basically seen as rubbish and disregarded. We were never educated. We were never regarded. We were stuck in housing estates where they were basically you know ghettoized by Dublin by the corporation at the time. So we didn't really get it, you know. Um, you know. So you know the other experience of other individuals was, was vastly different. We, 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 we were not the ruling classes, we weren't chosen and we didn't have the, um, the, um, the choices. But also don't forget the political uh, uh, people at the time, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, the Labour Party and others reneged on us. They just exploited us for capital and talked constantly about the working classes and how they were going to do it and working men and working women. But our lot hasn't changed. And if you walk into the housing estates now from Summerhill to Sean McDermott Street to Ballymun to Ballyfermot, very little has changed. They've kind of got worse. They're very dilapidated. There's a huge amount of poverty. There's a lot of people on our streets. There's a lot of drug addiction. There's a huge amount of domestic abuse, etc. And our jails at this particular moment, our incarceration is up to about four, four and a half thousand individuals. Mm-hmm. So there is a huge problem. Uh, and 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 that is, you know what I mean, in a very rich country like Ireland, um, you know, I, 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 w- I would regard myself as very, very lucky indeed on a daily basis. Well, you speak of the the dark side of Dublin, but you also spoke there with great joy of the the happy side of Dublin and the mysterious Dublin that you, you knew growing up in. And your first musical choice is very much a Dublin choice. Yeah, I mean, Frank Hart, you know, was someone who basically I, I, I identified with for, on the radio, you know, and as a child, and certainly when I was incarcerated in St. Patrick's Institution as a 15-year-old, you know, Frank Hart and the the various traditional programmes that would come out of RTE, and particularly when you would hear Frank Hart singing on a British radio station, was really, really significant. And any Irish music that was played on the likes of the Long Note or, or one of the uh, foreign broadcast companies like the BBC or even the European German companies was, 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 was phenomenal because, again, it mirrored back something that we were, we were, we were recognised and we were strong. So Frank Hart gave you a sense of identity with his, you know, his, his street ballads of Billy Mulligan, the, the pride of the kingdom. And I was interested in traditional music, so I kind of tra- taught myself guitar and I taught myself writing and I taught myself all these other things. So listen to Frank Hart, you know, I mean, in uh, a cell, you know, in St. Patrick's Institution or Mountjoy Jail at 15 years of age when there's mayhem all around you. It was interesting because this is where you went to. Like, again, that thing in the island, the best part of jail sometimes was when you actually got out of the main population and went back to your cell and listened to your radio and you had that kind of relative peace and quiet and you could tune into the likes of Tony McMahon on programmes or you could tune into Frank Hart or you could tune into the Waltons programmes or, you know, Ronnie Walsh or Sunday Miscellany, which was a great programme, which would again give you this other kind of gentle, you know, you know, civilised cultural approach. So Frank Hart meant a lot. And when I come out of the institutions and I come out of jail, I met Frank Hart when I became an artist and an actor in the Project Arts Centre and I recommended Frank Hart to Jim Sheridan for a number of our plays, but particularly The Risen People, where Frank, you know, did all the music for us. So I became a good friend of Frank and went to a lot of his concerts. And, um, you know, uh, Frank's, uh, Frank's an important man. He's now deceased. I hope mm-hmm. he rest in peace. Uh, he's, uh, he's got a son who works in Dublin City Council and he's, his albums are well collected uh, and, and his archive is well there. So Biddy Mulligan, The Pride of the Coombe is a song that's well known, it's well known in Dublin, it's well known around the world. 
it's a kind of a nice song and it also it's about a street trader it's about someone who's out there you know you know doing her thing and it's about a woman and I, 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 I love it and I think it's certainly part of my milestone Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1 That's Frank Hart and Billy Mulligan the choice of today's guest Mannix Flynn and Mannix you're as you say there after incarceration you know you became very successful in the arts and you worked hard to achieve that. But I was fascinated when I read the story of, of your first, the first part you got in a play where you approached one of the Sheridans and asked, said you wanted to become an actor. I mean, the thing about it was that I w- was interested in the arts, in the institution, and certainly Mount Joy Jail, I participated in all the kind of variety events that were there. I participated in the, in the, in the, in the writing courses that were there that I set up and I also performed on the stage because we had that. The reason why I went into the arts was they brought in a bunch of actors to deliver us a play in when we were incarcerated and unfortunately they weren't that great. We were much better than them. And when they came into the theatre, you know what I mean, as I said, I recognised them. And when I went out one day, when, when I was outside, yeah. when I finished my time, I met these same actors on the street. And what happened was I actually started my career in Trinity College, in players in Trinity College, as a stage manager with the deceased Sean Tracy. And it was through that process that I met the Sheridans who were casting for a play uh, uh, at the time um, um, uh, in the Project Arts Centre. I went along and I did an audition. I didn't get the part that was grand and then I, I was offered the part in another play called Mobile Homes down the road and then the Liberty Sue came about which I wrote with them mm-hmm. but I didn't walk up to them in the street and ask them could they, go, could they have a play in the Project Art Centre that's exactly how it happened mm-hmm. you know so the artists came into the jail they delivered the play to us there was you know uh, um, Fran Dempsey was one of the artists uh, mm-hmm. yeah w- w- uh, Peter Caffrey was in it uh, Jamie Stone was in it which is Carl Corcoran he, 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 he was in the show as well and it was Aladdin. Uh, it was Aladdin's cave, and I'm like what they were doing, <laughs> bringing Aladdin's cave into Mountjoy Jail for us to see and perform it was kind of. I think they got out by the skin of their teeth. <laughs> you know, it was quite, it was quite funny. I don't think that much of Aladdin's cave left when they were leaving. I think most of the props remained in the jail. They're still looking for the stuff. But these are the things that happen, and as through that process, I met, as I say, the Sheridans in an audition. You know. You know, it was it was extraordinary, and and the ele- various elements of the arts at which you excelled yourself. Uh, I say you couldn't have dreamt of that as the youngster. Well, again, there's I mean, you know, there was all those possibilities. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're out wandering the streets of Dublin and you're climbing in and out of places and up in broken buildings, and that adventure is there, that adventure spirit is still in me. So, the idea of stepping on a stage, the idea of it was all really, really wondrous. It was a great, 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 great mm-hmm. process. But all those processes that I had in the arts pale into insignificance to the kind of breakdown processes and what I had to deal with as a child in those institutions when I had to come to terms with what happened to me and I had to go through that, you know, you know what I mean, you know, 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. Again, like that kind of isolation on the island where you break down and you break down within yourself. And so that experience of, you know, of of strength, of understanding the real dark place, the really dark collapse inside yourself when you're, when you're, you think you're going insane and then you're you're pulling your strength together and you're praying to a God of your choice. You're screaming to a, a power way outside of yourself to drag you out of 
these really dark mental spaces was where the real strength came. So once I became through that process at 15 years of age into 16 into 17 and those years in those places when I had to kind of deal with what had happened, once I came out and go onto the stage and deliver the talents that was given to me as a gift, mm. that was... You were able it, to. It was... You, you just had to have courage mm. and, and that's the way it was and having been through what I was going... So I happened to have the talent. I, I, I loved with stage I loved working in the project I loved working with the, the Sheridans it was a very interesting process it was a new time for arts in Ireland I worked here in RTE it was a very different place then it was fantastic and fabulous and it was a very interesting other site it was almost I was on the other island looking at myself in this other island it was quite interesting the way it all happened and as I say I've got some amazing memories of my time here in RTE you know and the various people that, that are, you know, Morris O'Doherty, Charles Mitchell, you know, uh, you know, uh, and just great people who are solid, who are very, very correct, you know, I suppose they were very, they were very decent to me, they were very good to me, they were very kind of, you know, mindful of me, you know, and very respectful of me, and they gave me a lot of the time. Chloe Gibson, who was head of drama, trained me, you know what I mean, in our house uh, here on Marion Road, I used to go for uh, lessons with Chloe, mainly in Marxism. Uh, Chloe used to offer me a sandwich all the time, I couldn't eat it because it was full of a cigarette ash, but I used to hide the sandwich in my pocket, <laughs> pretend that I did eat it. You know, it was just, these were fascinating people, you know, and it was just fantastic. It was a whole community here, and the Abbey were the same, the Arts were the same, and it was the 70s, it was mid-70s, it was like you were working for, whatever you were working for, you were getting by, the city was interesting and it was a fantastic, you know, unfortunately I got involved with alcohol, you know, and I had to, you know, deal with all of those issues, but it was a, it was a special, special time, you know, and, you know, the arts again, you know, and what they can deliver to a person and, the, and what they can offer and on a personal level, I mean, I stand that and on a personal level, you know, have gained an awful lot through the culture and through what was handed down through the tradition to me. Let's go to your second musical choice, man, explain Cormac O'Bugley. Yeah, Cormac O'Bugley and the Begley family down, down in County Kerry. Again, you know, you would always, you know, listen out for what was pure, what was connected, what was authentic. Uh, and what was kind of not synthetic. And Cormac Begley is a, a young composer, musician from the west of Kerry, you know, who has an enormous talent, you know, and is the bearer of that kind of flame in terms of the traditional music. I mean, all too often you get a tune and it's played at 100 miles an hour. It's like Ferrari, like they're in some sort of a race and there's 22 people like playing some sort of tune and everybody's joined in the session. And seldom do we actually sit down and listen to the tune and what it's actually saying and what it's passing on to us. Begley has this, you know, in in, in, in spades, this enormous talent. Uh, and I came across him in um, in in, uh, in Tony McMahon's house uh, a couple of years back in, in session that was set up by Des Garrity and his wife, uh, Rosan- Ro- Rosalind. And, you know, it, it was just phenomenal in Tony's house in the middle of the Liberties to hear these sounds coming out of the consultina that were ancient, that were magical, that were powerful. You couldn't compare them. And I've been through a lot of sessions of, you know, therapy, you know, for all different ailments and all different understandings. This stuff removes all of that from you. You know, it's like a great game of gas, like a fabulous game of of of, of, of Gaelic football by ch- by children otherwise, but you're just embedded in the game. You're, you become ensemble. This is what this was. And your identity then and everything gets lifted from you. 
Uh, this is a piece of music, you know, again, O'Neill's March, you know what I mean, or O'Neill's Advance, where Cormac Begley takes the tune, uh, he reinvents the tune, uh, he basically puts his own composition to it. Uh, and you listen to this because this has uh, not been released until, I think, s- sometime in the autumn. Yeah. He gave me permission to, to allow it to be, to be played on this programme. So it's a unique one-off situation. I'm really grateful to these people. I mean, I love the countryside, although I had horrible times in the likes of Delafrak and Dangan. I, am, I, I love the sod of grass. I loved the flower at the side of the road. I loved the traditional music. I loved the wind in the, in the sky. And, and, and this then, these human compositions, this, 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 this human endeavour makes us unique and puts that thing into perspective. This is God stuff. This is really serious stuff. And I'm very grateful to this. I mean, you've no idea how grateful I am because in that desert, in that place when you're on your own, lying in that bed when memories flood in or experiences happen or you're seeing injustices and you're looking for the solace or you're looking for something that actually can fortify you, the likes of the Begley music and the likes of these compositions and traditional Irish music and arts are a great, 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 great company. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. That's Cormac O'Bugley, the choice of today's guest, Mannix Flynn, who, of course, has also become a very successful independent Dublin city councillor, and that's a huge part of your life, I know. Your final musical choice made me wonder, is, is religion a part of your life now, a key part of your life? Well, again, I was thinking about this on the way out here, you know, because I stopped off at the local church here in Donnybrook uh, and uh, you know, got the tail end of the mass, you know, um, and it was very interesting, you know. Um, religion, you know, and church and, uh, and spirit Spirituality are, are, are grand on their own, you know, there's not a big problem with them, you know. But faith is something very different. And on the island, faith is extremely important because that's what you're going to have to have and that's what you're going to have to rely on. This, this, this connectivity. I always had a very strong faith. I had a very strong faith in myself and I had a very strong faith in people, you know. And you were always going to have difficulties, you know what I mean? But the strong faith is there, it's in me. It it assisted me to no end through an awful lot of stuff. Where do I turn to? You know, even if there's nothing there, I want to reach out in the hope that there is something there. Because this is what makes you the human being. This is what makes us, you know I mean, humanity. This is what makes us, you know, strive for the better. We are faced with a pandemic across the globe, huge suffering in our country, huge suffering in our community, huge debts, huge loss. You know, whatever about economies, economies come and go, but bodies and people don't, they just mm. they never come back. We've been suffering for a long time in this country, 800 years of misery, my own life, very difficult. You know, but nonetheless, there are moments of absolute joy, there are moments when there's a split second you know, like Beckett says, the light gleams for an instant and it is night once more. As long as that light gleams for an instant, we're OK. And that's the way it is. The possibility of a game of ga where everything is lost and at the last moment we've seen it, there's a score and it's just mesmerising. Yeah. Faith is like that. Faith is that situation where, boy, I have a close connection with a power greater than myself. You know, I'm 63 years of age. When I was 19 and 20, I was lying on the streets of Dublin, a broken person, addicted to alcohol. I couldn't even get into a police station. That's how bad it was. They wouldn't take me into Mountjoy Jail. You know, it was a very, you know, I was an actor, I I had all those things, but I also had a savage addiction. I was homeless, I was all of those processes. There wasn't really, most people will tell you, there wasn't really much hope uh, you know, because I was in a devastated way, and I was tw- that lasted for years. I had great relationships. I threw it all away from alcohol. You know, and I, and I'd 
plenty of opportunities to go to Hollywood and all those kind of places, but I had my own demons. I had to travel through the redress board, I could take on the state and all of those kind of things. I had to, take, I had to sit in rooms with bishops and priests who told barefaced lies. That they're just human beings. And I didn't have a big prejudice against them. I wasn't surprised by them. I was with Ungarda Shikana in investigations on these issues and they didn't believe us and eventually they did. It took a awful long time there. It's 20 odd years and a huge toll on my life, you know, uh, in terms of addiction and the damage that that did. But in that absolute darkness of brokenness, in that place where I was constitutionally incapable of being honest and smashed, I had to find a power way in myself to bring me through and not only through my addiction, but to bring me back into society so I could apologise to the people that I hurt, that I could make amends to the people that I hurt and that I could actually reinvent, re- reconstitute myself in a spiritual way to some extent, but in a way of faith. So everything I do is based on faith. Everything that I do in my life is based on the day I die. That's what it's based on. It's based on the day I die. The day that I die is, is all, because at the end of the day, I'm only here for a finite amount of time. So I have a very, very strong faith. I respect religion. I respect, you know, spirituality, and I respect the church, and I respect the tradition. I was never hurt by God. You know, I was never, ever hurt by God. The, the church was hurt by its, by its own people that were in there who basically betrayed all that. We know all that. Religious individuals and religious congregations caused mayhem in this country mm. and they are and they have to atone for that situation and find a way. I would hate to see our nation lose its faith. I think we have a very, very unique faith. You know, I think we have a real, really interesting relationship with, with a God of our choice that goes back way before the Christians arrived here. We have this uniqueness. I, I identify with that within my music choices. I identify that within my daily base. I would stop in the middle of a supermarket and I'd make conscious contact with a power greater than myself. I'm faced with a council uh, with a whole load of political parties and different decisions and I've got to articulate a voice. I'm faced with a situation where I'm trying to talk about abuses or wrongdoing or criminality in the redress boards, in the inquiries into child abuse and I've got bishops Archbishops, Gardaí, not believing us. And I have to have a strong faith. I've got a family to get through who realise what happened. I've had the mother that understood what happened to us in the institutions and I've got to be able to say, look, I'm here, I'm fine, I've made a new life and done all, all of that. I have to have that strength. So I've good friends in the church. I've got great friends who are who are priests, brothers and nuns. I totally respect them. I visit quite a lot of them in their in their in their in their various capacities. I, I would throw in prayers on a regular basis, you know, and I think it's very important. This last piece of music, you know, uh, uh, or Leonard, uh, you know, is is a homage to, I suppose, Sean O'Reilly. And Sean O'Reilly, again, pulled something unique, unique, again, in terms of his composition, in terms of pulling traditional poem, traditional sayings and prayers that were ancient, again, mm. going right, right back before Patrick ever set a foot on the place about God and about God's seed and where it is on the land and pulling together the mass which O'Reilly wrote, which is unique thing. So that always rings in my ear, you know. Erlar sings this beautifully because he's got that, again, that ancient Irish tongue and the language. And while I wouldn't speak... Irish, I'd understand a tiny bit of it. I can hear it. As an artist, I can hear its resonance, I can hear its beauty, I can hear its sound. Not many people can play Gab, but we can certainly enjoy it and wonderful and be a participant. So I'm a participant in language, and particularly Irish language. And here, with O'Reilly and his uniqueness and his masterly and his genius, he pulls together something extraordinary. And I think we need to see more of O'Reilly 
and hear more of Oreda on a daily basis. Well, it's a perfect way to play out. You're an extraordinary man, Manny Flynn, and it's been fascinating chatting with you. I wish you continued success and happiness in your life. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. We're going to play out with A Crease on Shiel uh, by Sean Oreda, some way, Irlo Leonard. Good morning, Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1.